The Unstuff America podcast is hosted by the most organized man in America, Andrew Mellon. Listen in for Andrew's take on America's clutter crisis. From guns to gold, he dives deep into America's self-destructive obsession with possession and how that impacts the American dream. Get real-life tools and strategies to take responsibility, set yourself free, and live your values every day. And now, Andrew Mellon. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unstuff America. I am so glad you're with us today, and I am super excited to be talking to our guest today, Yogacharya Ellen O'Brien, who is a, a longtime friend now. We, we met when my book first came out, Unstuff Your Life, and I've been on her podcast several times. I've taught at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, her spiritual home and the center that she created in San Jose, California. She's just, I'm going to cry. I'm so happy to be <laughs> on the phone with her. She's, um, she's just a remarkable person, and I'm so excited to share her wisdom and experience with all of you. So, um, Ellen, welcome to the show. Andrew, thank you so much for inviting me. I am I am really delighted to be having this conversation with you. And part of that is because every time I see you, every time I talk to you, I always learn something um, that is really useful. And so I'm uh, I'm delighted to be with you. And I'm delighted you're doing this podcast that has a really big vision and a really big context that we need today. Thank you. Thanks. So tell us just a little bit about about yourself, what you do for work, what your home life is like. Do you live with other people? Do you live alone? Just so we can get a sense of your, your environment, your stuff environment on the, on the more personal side. Okay. Well, I'm the founding teacher and uh, director of Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. We have world headquarters in San Jose, and um, it's a multifaceted spiritual center. Um, The core of our uh, tradition is Kriya Yoga. So as a meditation and yoga center, we welcome people from all Um, religious, spiritual backgrounds, or none. Um, And our our focus is on helping people wake up spiritually and live conscious and fulfilled lives. So, um, yeah, so that's that. That's what I do for work. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I write. I I write books. I teach classes. I lead retreats. um, And I'm a poet. And... um, yeah. And I I have uh, children. We have, my husband and I have three grown children. They're adults and have partners and are married and we have grandchildren. So mm-hmm. the two of us live um, alone together um, with our fish. We do have a beautiful little garden um, that has a koi pond. And so mm-hmm. we have some beautiful koi that we live with. And that's really all that I can manage for um, pets because I travel a lot and mm-hmm. my husband, Michael, refuses to take care of <laughs> any pet that I bring into the house. So um, that's that's it. And I, you know, I've enjoyed your work. I've really appreciated things that I've learned from you. And, and part of that is that, you know, my husband and I have both have very full lives. And so I travel um, a lot and I do many different things with my work. So for me, it's essential 
to have a life that's simple enough that lets me move around in it with ease. And of course, I find that uh, it seems to me that I'm sort of like a magnet, you know, that just attracts things. <laughs> and it, it, it just takes a, a discipline, you know, to keep simplifying my life. Um, we have a small home. I mean, comparatively speaking to homes, you know, we have a small home. And, um, you know, it was really built before they did walk-in closets or anything like that. Right. So, And we have kept it that way. Uh, intentionally so that we're required to have the disc we just can't have too many things because we have no place to put them right but even with that we still have too many things yeah i hear you uh parents living um our parents have all passed on and left us their stuff uh-huh and <laughs> has that stuff come to live with you has it has it cycled through your life yet or is do you still have some of it hanging around some of it is still in the attic i think and in some places in the garage that are you know like um occupy some back primal portion of my brain right um yeah so some of that is still around a lot of it got moved through um, at the time. Yeah. Cause it is something certainly for, uh, some of the listeners who are in that sandwich generation who have older parents and younger children and are dealing with everybody's stuff, right? Three, three generations mm -hmm. of stuff, the stuff, <laughs> the stuff that came before their own stuff and the stuff that's coming in and to be mindful of when you have aging parents or when your parents leave, that if they haven't been particularly organized and focused about their belongings, they are, they're going to go one of several places. They're going to go straight to a thrift store or a charity. They're going to go in the garbage, which we would prefer to avoid, or they're going to come to you or one of your siblings, if you have siblings or, you know, another family member. But they're, it's, it's something that I, encourage everybody to even though it is uncomfortable those those things around life cycle events and thinking about the fact that people will leave right that this is a this is a finite carnation incarnation and you're gonna you're gonna be here for as long as you're gonna be here and the stuff is gonna outlast you and what do you want to do with it so yeah and it's you know and it's an interesting time i think for my generation um you know, when I was younger, it, it was a thing to, you know, for your mother, you know, to pass on the things from your grandmother. And we, we actually wanted that and looked forward to it. There were some handmade things and there was the china and the crystal and, you know, things like that uh, for a middle class um, girl. That was an important thing because mm -hmm. those things were, you know, precious. And over time now, that's less important. And I find that um, our, our kids don't want that stuff. Right. Um, and so that's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm not even sure they feel guilty about it. You know, maybe one, <laughs> if I can think of the kids, I think maybe one, you know, I can kind of always stick him with stuff, but, um, <laughs> which sounds horrible. I'm just kidding. But, but, you know, the other ones are pretty clear that they're just not interested. They just don't, they don't want that stuff. So that does, and I don't know if that's true for other people, but that's what I've seen. And I was talking to a woman just a couple of days ago who was downsizing and she had that same issue, you know, mm -hmm. that um, down, down generation now, nobody wanted it. 
Yeah, no, I think that that's very true. I see that in my work all the time that people are, family values are still important, whatever that means to every family, right? I mean, it's their <laughs> families look differently and the values are the values, but that the, the generation before me, certainly where there were family dinners and the China, not necessarily the crystal because people, that was for special occasions, but just the idea of Sunday dinners and all the siblings possibly getting together with the parents, even when they were grown and their kids. And because we're so spread out, I think now in so many ways that holding on to those kinds of objects to use them in a regular way just doesn't happen. And then who has formal dinner parties? Certainly when we think about the middle class or, you know, if we're going to think about structure, upper, middle and lower class or working class folks, I think the middle class and, and working class folks are not having big formal dinners, even for the holidays. I, I know some people who like to do it on Chinette, right? I mean, they would rather... <laughs> they they don't want to have to clean up. They'd rather just recycle everything and be done with it. It's, it's more about the togetherness than it is about the accoutrement. So. Yeah, I, I think that, I think it's true. And, you know, I've tried to look at, you know, some things like, you know, my mother's China, which I really do like, and I like having, and I use it on occasion, but I've thought about, you know, could I just use it every day? Um, yes. And, you know, make use of it, but it's quite <laughs> fragile and you can't put it in the dishwasher. Mm. So, you know, it's, there's that. It's just not practical. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me, what inspires you? What are you really passionate about? I'm passionate about people waking up, you know, people coming to know the truth about what they are and discovering, you know, life is sacred and life is full of divine opportunity and potential and that we have this incredible power to heal, um, heal our families and heal in our communities and our nation and, and our world. So I'm passionate about people waking up and, uh, I agree with, uh, you know, Ken Wilber's model that, you know, not only do we have to wake up spiritually, but we have to grow up. Mm. Um, you know, we have to mature emotionally. Um, that's critical. And then I would add a third component of that, and, and that is that we have to show up. Mm. So we need to, you know, wake up and grow up and show up. That's excellent. Uh, so on the other side of that, what, what upsets you? What pisses you off? What really gets you going in the opposite direction? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, I think about, uh, you know, I think I, I'm probably somebody who goes more towards something, feeling the hurt of something rather than feeling anger. You mm -hmm. know, that's not my given. Um, not that I never, not that I never get angry, but I, I, so I would say, you know, what is devastating to me, what, what hurts me profoundly is cruelty, mm. you know, in any form. Um, yeah. Just witnessing cruelty, uh, whether that's some form of, you know, hatred, racism, or, you know, violence, um, man's inhumanity to man mm -hmm. 
Excellent. I mean, not excellent, but excellent clarity. Thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that with us. All right. Well, um, let's talk about stuff a little bit on a scale from one to 10, one being the least organized and 10 being completely organized. Where would you put yourself on that scale? I'd probably put myself uh, at an eight out of pure necessity. You know, it's just as I mentioned in the beginning, I can't move through time and space the way that I need to if I have a lot of stuff in the way. Mm -hmm. So I have to organize my day, organize my calendar, organize my room. And, and I'm somebody who doesn't think well in a cluttered environment. I, I feel that my environment, well, I, don't, I know it. I don't just feel it. I know that my environment is an extension of my mind. Mm. And um, so I frequently will, you know, clean my space before I sit down to write. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I also... When I'm having a phone conversation with people, there are, I will often walk around the apartment and pick things up and put them away. I'll fold laundry. I'll do things that uh, they provide. They pro I don't consider them multitasking. I think that they actually they ground me and keep me focused while I'm doing mm -hmm. something. If mm -hmm. I'm on a conference call or listening in, it's easier for me to 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 do that and be active. I I just start to get. I start to check out sometimes if I'm if I'm passively listening to something. Mm -hmm. uh, it engages me. So I, if I'm moving a muscle, I feel like I'm actually doing something. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. I think people are probably doing that during our podcast, Andrew. They could be. Let's hope that they're, <laughs> let's hope that they're tidying up and not making, a, <laughs> making more of a mess. <laughs> yeah. So do you think that you, uh, did you start this way or uh, b because of how busy you are, the demands on your time and how you want to spend your time, right? I mean, not just that there's external pressure, but it, in, an internal sense of drive to be as engaged as you are that that necessitates organization Did, have you would you say that you were always organized or is this a developing skill as the demand has called it out of you that you've stepped up and become more organized i think it's been part of waking up and growing up um, for me, mm -hmm. because as a child, um, I was completely chaotic and unorganized. And um, I was one of those kids that just had a nightmare of a room. And it was an issue in my family. But in my, my family was um, not particularly healthy. And it was the family itself, the emotional uh, tenor of the family was very chaotic. Mm. And so, like I said, my space mirrors my consciousness. So that was true for me as a child as well. You know, it would just, I just would have piles of chaos around me, but that that's what was going on inside of me. But I had a strategy because I was supposed to keep my room clean. And so, you know, if I was going to, get a room check and get in trouble, my strategy was to just pick everything up and throw it in the closet. So, and literally, I mean, <laughs> I had like, you know, three or four feet high stuff piled up in the closet. And um, I don't know what I was thinking, because I certainly remember interventions from my father of coming in and seeing my room looking absolutely pristine and then opening that closet door. <laughs> um, that pile of stuff in there. So, um, you know, as I, you know, grew up and um, embarked on my, my spiritual life and my path of uh, emotional healing and, and learning, then having a, a, a better relationship with my environment naturally 
came out of that. Mm -hmm. Cool. What was the last thing other than food or consumables that you've purchased? Do you, can you, can you think of it, what it was? Oh yeah. It was a pad for my new office chair because I have a thick carpet here in my room. Mm. Um, and so I got a new chair and then I had to get a pad for the chair. It's one of those cascading things, Andrew. You know, uh -huh. I had, um, I'm working on a new book. So I'm at my computer a lot. The old chair was falling apart. I mean, it would like fall down sort of um, just whenever it wanted to. So time for a new chair. I got a new chair. And then when I got the new chair, I had to get the pad. Um, yeah. So that was the, the last thing. Excellent. So also, I think a takeaway for our listeners that this is the thinking the thing through right and and i'm not i'm not in any way suggesting that you know that you should have uh stayed with the old chair but it it is it's that tricky thing of i need this but then this requires this and this and this it's like when you upgrade your telephone or a piece of technology and suddenly all the adapters need to be updated and uh -huh. there's new software and suddenly this one thing that we think oh this i'm just i'm going to isolate this i'm going to be really smart and snug in my consumption and then because of the nature of stuff, suddenly there's 16 more pieces and parts that need to be rolled over for it to happen. And we don't budget for it, we don't anticipate it, and then we somehow seem surprised as if, as if it has never happened before that that has un, un, occurred, right? Well, not only that, but the, but the last thing I had to let go of was the... Um, new mat I bought from my chair. <laughs> so, you know, it turns out that it's much more complicated because the carpet is really thick and the pad that I got was not thick enough. So the chair sank down into it mm -hmm. and, you know, it kind of goes on and on. So right. yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I didn't anticipate the other chair I think wasn't as heavy, so it didn't do this but anyway so i am in the um i'm in that process of, <laughs> of getting the right pad to go under my chair um, so my yeah. chair doesn't fall down in the middle of a sentence and that's what's that's what's going on yeah well great yeah i just it, again just to button that up i think it's it's a cautionary tale sounds too dramatic, but it is just that thing that I want to encourage everybody to really think through the, the full scale and the full arc of the choices that we're making. When we think, oh, I'm just going to fix one thing, can you really isolate it to one thing or does it start a snowball effect? Because partly I think where we end up when where we don't want to be is we didn't anticipate for it. We didn't budget for it time-wise and money-wise. And then it becomes a source, a potential source of resentment and upset, this thing that was supposed to help us and make us happier. And then it just perpetuates, I think, a, a dissatisfaction with stuff. And so we've got this love-hate relationship where we want new stuff or we need new stuff, but it, it upsets us because it complicates our life and we don't really have a methodology for integrating it into our life. And it's just, I think it's, it's worth thinking it through all the way so we can make a smart choice. And if it turns out that 
you don't have the time to walk everything through, then maybe today's not the day. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about you, obviously, but maybe today's not the day to get the new chair because it's got these, it's got possible other moving parts that need you, you need to allow for it, right? Yeah, and of course today, I think, you know, part of what, what falls into that challenge that you're, you're talking about, Andrew, and, and it's possible, you know, had I known how much of my time would be consumed by the chair and the mat and now finding another mat, um, I might have just stayed with the annoying chair that went down at random until I could finish my book. Right. Um, so that's such a good point. And the other piece of it is like regarding the chair and the mat is that we have so many choices today. So, you know, it's not just that you have a chair and that you get a chair mat. You know, there are as many different kinds of chair mats for your office as there are potato chips, you know, in <laughs> the, even the health food store. So, right. um, and it takes time um, to make a decision about those kinds of things. And, you know, it's really not where I want to spend my time. Right. And I'm guessing that for the listeners, it's not where they want to spend their time either. And the whole point behind On Stuff America is let's be really smart and strategic about how much time it takes us to manage our lives so that we have that what we're going to call surplus time to go participate in things that actually matter beyond our homes, in our communities, so that we can be agents of effective change in the community outside our home so that if we're unhappy with the way that things are unfolding on a local, national, statewide level, we have the energy and the availability to show up and say, hey, you actually are not representing my interests. You're not representing my values. I want to interrupt this conversation and direct it someplace else. But if we're literally or figuratively in Staples or, you know, at the office supply store looking at chairs, <laughs> we, we, t we are going to tell ourselves a story and minimize that impact, that time. But the reality is I'm going to, I mean, and I speak for myself, I'm going to come home from an experience like that. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to want to take a nap. I'm not going to want to have a quick snack and run out into the streets and start to organize my neighbors into a protest or a, a potluck dinner, I'm going to think, good grief, that was exhausting. I need a break. And that is, if, if the most organized of us are responding to that, that much demand for our attention, imagine the people who have less mobility and less time, less resources, how much more difficult it must be for them to mobilize. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. And, and it's, and if you don't have a focus, um, a priority to be involved um, and, or to, to, to live in a certain way, then of course it's possible to just get sucked into, you know, being a consumer and, and then, of course, being consumed by being a consumer. You know, all of your time gets consumed, your money gets consumed, your energy gets consumed, your focus gets consumed. Um, so, you know, for me, it was just this one little chair, and now I'm consumed by uh, chair mats. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a perfect segue into talking about time. And um, at work, at home, uh, We've talked a little bit about how organization is so essential to you so that you can function at the level that you want to function at. 
when you think objectively about home and at work, are there still places where you're, besides the chair um, moments, <laughs> are there other places where you recognize patterns of time, th- those, those, those little black holes of time where you think, oh, I'm gonna, this is going to take me five minutes, and then you look up and 47 minutes later, you think, good grief, what happened? Where have I been? Mm-hmm. I think it depends on my self-care and my level of well-being um, because that determines how firm I can be with my boundaries. Mm. So, you know, if I'm, I'm pretty much on target with getting the rest that I need, um, you know, eating right, uh, meditating, doing those things that I know support my well-being, then it's easier for me to stay focused. But I notice if I somehow get off of that routine and I get too tired or, you know, um, become upset and it drains my energy, then then it's easier for me to lose my focus. And, and for me, I would say organizationally and even privately at home, because I, I work a lot at home. I mean, I work at the center, but I also work at home as a writer. And, you know, for me, you know, email is the mm. black hole of distraction. So even though I know enough to set time limits around when I'm going to check it, when I'm going to be there, um, I think it has just backing up, you know, I think it has more yeah. to do with the health of my boundary system um, than it does, you know, of course, the actual thing itself. But mm-hmm. if my boundaries are not in good, in good shape, um, that, that place, you know, just um, can really uh, disintegrate my time and energy because, I mean, and and I'm not, you know, playing video games, you know, I'm responding, (laughs) you know, to people who are asking something of me. And so it feels important and I think it is important, Um, but it has to be prioritized in the right way. So that's what I see. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that. I will say that I I check email twice a day for that very reason. And I set a timer and I think as well, uh, the boundaries is a, is an important point that if I'm, if I'm vulnerable, if I'm tired, if I'm crabby, I'm less likely to take care of myself. It it feels like it's self-perpetuating. I think that Mm -hmm. once I'm off the beam it's it, it's that second law of entropy that I think that I be, then it's easier to become to stay off the beam and getting back on the beam becomes harder and I tend to and I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I want I'm I'm in a service position mm-hmm. it's, that's my work is service and so th- there's a lot of people who need my expertise and my help and it's hard to say no and it's that is a slippery slope as well particularly when i'm feeling vulnerable or or weak puny that i can easily fall into well i'll take care of myself later right i mean mm-hmm. and it just it feeds on itself like well i i'm actually all things considered i'm fine mm-hmm. let me just take care of these other people and i'll come back to me later mm-hmm. and uh it's it is that physician heal thyself uh thing that is, I think, essential to remember that I need to 
I, it's okay for me to be uh, healthy and cared for so that I'm really in tip-top shape to be of use to other people, that it's not, I don't have to deplete myself to the point of making myself sick or being uh, unhappy as if that's the best way to serve people. <laughs> yeah, we just are less effective. I have, um, I have said that we need to understand that self-care is a necessity uh, and not a luxury. Mm. You know, if you if you want to really be making a contribution in life, then uh, it's it's uh, it's essential um, to take care of yourself so that you can you can offer the best that you have to others. Mm, that's great. If there was one thing about the world that you could change today, what would that be? I would change the distribution of wealth in the world. Um, I would, which of course has to do with our system of justice, right? For people everywhere. Um, uh, and by the distribution of wealth, I, I mean that, you know, as, as Gandhi, as Gandhi G said, there's enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. So, um, that is still true today. Um, I was just just reading, you know, uh, hunger statistics in the world and and the millions of people who go hungry every day in our world and the fact that we actually do produce enough food to feed everyone. And so if I could change something, I would change that. You know, I don't know what you would call it, distribution of wealth, distribution of resources, you know, and behind that, the system of injustice that holds that in place. Um, because, you know, I mean, I would be tempted to say, you know, I would bring world peace, <laughs> but, you know, world peace has to come with justice. And uh, so it, we can't just, uh, you know, move a, a, a wand and uh, say, you know, we're going to change this. You know, I, I, I wrote a new poem actually about this, Andrew, this kind of, um, was just was just a meditation I was having on this. Can I share it? Would you please? Yeah, yeah. It's Thank it's you. new, so it's not it's not honed or anything. It's just raw. It's not one of my published ones, but um, anyway, it's called the solution. We're shooting arrows at the shadow of a bird. The expanse of blue sky stretches before us. I dreamed I was flying tethered to the ground a foot above its surface a lateral move horizontal we think we see more than we do glimpse of a red rose opening bright-eyed baby smiling back solution to war in the middle east as simple as that if it wasn't for our greed if it wasn't for our quiver filled with sharp arrows aimed at the shadows we chase. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and so true. Yeah, I, I hope it comes across. Like, oh. like that's where we need to undo what we're chasing that is not the real thing. Yes, I, it comes through perfectly clear. That's really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for letting me read it. Of course. <laughs> When you think about unstuffing America, what does that mean to you? 
Well, I think it's related to that poem, Andrew, which is, you know, why I thought to share it with you today. I'm, you know, I'm inspired by your, your vision and I, um, you know, for me, it's about changing our focus with regard to what brings happiness. You know, there's, we, we, we still have the idea that having more and more will make us happy. Mm. We're still a country demonstrating that lifestyle to the world, which is unsustainable. And so if we can help um, dethrone <laughs> that idea and understand that it's really a life of meaning and purpose mm. that brings lasting happiness. Um, and, you know, what the source of lasting happiness is actually within us as opposed to anything, you know, that we could acquire. I mean, people find that out sooner or later, but we're, it, it, it's, um, I would like to have more effective ways for people to discover that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what the, the vision of, you know, unstuffing America means to me. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I think that we are very outwardly still stuff focused as a country. And when I think of so many parts of our heritage as a country, and even as a piece of land with the, the native population before white people arrived here, and the, so many of the uh, of the values um, seem to be obscured in this sense of accumulation, and uh, and it I think it hardens our hearts to each other, and um, it makes it much easier to to draw those lines between haves and have-nots, the us's and the them's, and it seems like it's a very polarizing mindset and i would really i really hope that we can shift that i mean i'm, I'm not uh, I, i'm not interested in being you know quixotic about it and chasing windmills but i do believe that on a daily basis we can do what we can do to dismantle that and bring more generosity kindness compassion uh and letting go i mean for me the freedom that is available to us when we are living a simpler, more meaningful life is uh, that is unparalleled for a sense of uh, there's there's no stress in that in that in that sense of freedom and un uncluttereredness. It is expansive. You're available. You're responsive. You're responsible without without being tethered in a horizontal flight pattern <laughs> yeah so i i'm i'm hopeful that uh, over time our listeners the people that are curious about how they can unstuff themselves and then be a part of unstuffing america in in a good way good being relative but again it's it's not i'm i don't make a lot of time for guilt or shame i mean appropriate guilt or shame if you've done something hurtful it's an appropriate response but the other sense of guilt and shame 
where you are telling the truth and other people don't like it, and then it somehow cows you into withdrawing and diminishing your participation. I don't make a lot of time for that. I think that it's a I think it's bullshit and I don't I don't want to support it and make a lot of room for it. So I really want to encourage people to let that kind of stuff go and and be their biggest best selves. Well, and I like what you're doing in terms of helping us explore what our values are, you know, like how our values are demonstrated and how we live, and then expanding the conversation to look at what are the values of America and American society and thinking about how, of course, we export our values as well. And um, years ago, I, I read just a wonderful book that was um, written by uh, Jacob Needleman. And it's called Money and the Meaning of Life. Mm. And um, one of the things that that he he grappled with in the book that just stuck with me is he, he said, we look at these principal values of um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as being, you know, rights you know that we that we all have and he and he said that that the pursuit of happiness has been misunderstood in our culture and I, i'm not quoting him directly but you know it's been misunderstood in our culture as as you know the right to accumulate right <laughs> um, pursuit of, of happiness of having you know whatever we want um but he said this pursuit of happiness is the wisdom of the ancient um you know fathers who founding fathers who put that together was actually the pursuit of dharma that the pursuit of happiness means the pursuit of finding the fulfilled life wow and you know isn't that a beautiful switch when you think about american culture and having that at our root that every person has this right to um seek a truly fulfilled life and that's the meaning of the pursuit of happiness that that's what's going to bring lasting happiness now oh, that's uh, what an awesome shift that is and and that we could make as a as a country as as people that would be awesome mm-hmm. yeah well, we're just about at time. I'm wondering if there's anything else, any last uh, words of wisdom or uh, encouragement you'd like to share with the listeners and me? <laughs> I would like to offer, I think, to that it's useful to remember uh, all the time, but especially in times that are troubled and in times where we can feel helpless and hopeless, that um, we need to remember that we have spiritual resources mm. and that um, those resources are um, powerful resources. They're the most powerful resources that, that, that do um, instigate the lasting kind of changes that we're looking for. So remember that you do have spiritual resources that you can draw upon uh, anytime, and in particular in times like this, um, to be inspired, to capture that divine idea of, you know, what is yours to do, what you can contribute, and um, to light up the path for having a truly fulfilled life. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank My you pleasure. so much. It was really good to uh, chat with you, Andrew, and um, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored, and I've, I've enjoyed the conversation very much. Me too. Thanks so much for being here. And uh, just tell everybody where they can find out more about you in the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. 
You can find out more about me at ellengraceobrien.com. And it's O'Brien with an A, O-B-R-I-A-N. And there you can find information about my books, um, plus the newest poetry book that's just out. So ellengraceobrien.com. And sent the center, Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, go to CSE Center. Dot org csecenter.org perfect thank you Excellent. thank you for asking of course thank you ellen be well and i'll look forward to our next conversation yeah look forward to it too thanks andrew sure. bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening to unstuff america if you like the podcast the best compliment you can give us is to share it with a friend and subscribe rate and review at itunes